If I gave a fuck what y'all think, y'all think I would be doing this? Welcome to the FMFU podcast. The podcast is from me for us. Vulgar but true, real and never fake. I'm your host Ayo Reese and I've got a lot of shit on my mind today so let's get into it. Happy Friday people and welcome to an all new exciting episode of the From Me For Us podcast. You know as a black man, one thing I truly believe and that has always said is that we are the most fascinating, dominant and influential people in the whole entire world world you can put us in any scenario and we'll always find ways to amaze think about the dominance we exert in the world of sports we own all of that shit whether it's basketball football baseball track tennis golf gymnastics everything hell if they heated up the rinks in hockey we would take that shit too think about the impact our culture has had on everyone else in other avenues from our fashion our music our persona our everything it's like how J. Cole rapped on the track 1985, how white kids want to be black and think how we rap in songs is how it truly feels. And they want to feel that. Think about all the people in the white and the Asian community who are always, and I mean always, rocking some Yeezy 350 boosts. I think Asians wear 350 boosts more than black people actually do. And who created the shoes? Well, technically a German shoe company. But the likeness and name is of a black guy who at times has been influential, recently controversial, but as always, I mean, but it's also a rapper. We are the ones who move the needle. And because time is continuous, we will eventually be recognized amongst everyone as having the ultimate power in society. The hard part about reaching that point of recognition, quote unquote, is the process of actually getting to it and the fight from the man to do everything in their power to try to prevent it. Why do you think bigots are in support of a Trump wall and all of these abortion bans in every state started becoming a thing out of nowhere? Think about that abortion ban issue for a second, though. Most people who can afford or are trying to get hella abortions are white CEO type men who slip up and knock up their side piece of a secretary and don't want their wife of 25 years with three kids to know about. Most of them don't have Jeff Bezos money and can go public with a new relationship with another chick and let their woman take half and they still be a multi-billionaire. So they opt to stay in their marriage so they don't have to give up half of their shit while still screwing their secretary raw. Yeah. With these abortion bans in place in all of these states, it would prevent them from, you know, aborting the side baby. And, you know, it would force the white baby to be born to help not rid the population of pure white babies at the current rate that it is going. Now, this shit is all a whole other topic for another day, though. But my initial point is that reaching that point of recognition for an oppressed culture always comes with roadblocks. People hate change. And when change comes, it creates unnecessary criticism or hate. Criticism or haters especially come when someone on the rise has the power and the might to be able to wield that shit in their favor. This is why everybody in the media seems to find issue and hate on Rich Paul. It's the FMFU podcast, bitch. For those who don't know who Rich Paul is, Rich Paul grew up in my home city of Cleveland over in Glenville around... 
2002 to 2003 was around the time when he was selling throwback jerseys, which were super popular around the time. One day, he happened to sell one to an about-to-be-drafted NBA superstar in LeBron James, and that's how the two met. After LeBron was drafted, LeBron wanted him to be a part of his inner circle, and during the course of a few years, he learned the business of the NBA and how to be an agent while working under LeBron's representation at the time. In 2012, he decided to start his own agency, Clutch Sports Group, and LeBron went with him, being his first client. Since then, he has bolstered his roster of clients with all kinds of NBA players. Some include Eric Bledsoe, Draymond Green, John Wall, Tristan Thompson, recently drafted Cleveland Cavalier Darius Garland, Ben Simmons, who on Monday signed a five-year, $170 million extension with the 76ers, but still won't hit a three to save his life, and of course, Anthony Davis. But it was reported back in March that... um. As of March, uh, this past March, 2019, for the previous NBA season, his clients had earned a combined total of $212 million from NBA salaries alone, which ranks as number three on the list of compensation by an agent's clients, while his client list in total ranks at number seven, which is the total number of clients he actually has on his roster. A great fucking story for a guy who started from the bottom in Glenville and grinded his way to the top and pulling in more compensation than half of these privileged guys with their degrees and stuff. This is a true American dream story, and it's something you would think that would get zero hate, right? Wrong. So, Reese, you know, why would a situation like this receive any kind of hate or criticism? Well, because in a lot of people's eyes that live in this country, this isn't how life is supposed to be. Life isn't supposed to be from me for us. When we have the power to create our own destiny, create our own narrative, the whitewashed media hates it. <laughs> Take the recent stories that have been put out in the past week or so. So recently, there's been quite a few articles going around. Scratch that. The same article going around that seems to circulate on numerous sites. And you know what? On a sidebar real quick, I just wanted to say this just for research purposes for you all. I don't know if you know, but something I've noticed when I try to research things is that there are usually there's usually an article that hits a website and then on two or three other websites i see the exact same article and the exact same words with credit given to the first website that's not proper reporting as you're only taking exactly what was reported on one website and if there wasn't a website is wrong or is executing any type of biases and someone wants to compare different websites information they'll be reading the same wrong information three plus times and thinking it's right because it has been reported on three plus websites Get some creativity, fucking people. But anyways, there's been this same article floating around on numerous websites about Marcus Morris, another player in the NBA, firing Rich Paul as his agent. No one has given an exact reason why, and we probably never will. But the speculations, of course, are because of how free agency actually went for Marcus. So if we look at what an agent's job is, it's always to get his client as much money as possible and do what's in his client's best interest. So, you know, reading that, you know, he was fired, especially having, you know, this long list of clients that keep growing. You must have thinking like, oh, he didn't get Marcus that bag like he commanded. If you look at the details of everything, this isn't even the case. So there was a rumor that he had an offer to sign with the Clippers on a three year, $41 million deal, but nothing surfaced as that being true. It's just been a rumor. But even if that is true, a three-year, $41 million deal, if you break it down on a yearly basis, only equates to about $13 million a year, and you're getting hit with hella California taxes. What is true, though, is that the Spurs offered Marcus Morris a two-year, $20 million contract that he had agreed to verbally. 
mathematics can tell you that, you know, that's 10 million a year. However, some circumstances changed in New York and the Knicks ended up having the ability to offer him a one year, $15 million deal. So being that the agreement to the Spurs was only verbal, he reneged on the deal and went after the bag of $15 million for one year, which ultimately is the most money and gives you the right to be a free agent again next year. So if an agent's job is to get you the most money and put you in a situation that you are comfortable with, how didn't his agent do his job? $15 million for one year is the most per year money he was offered. Is it for the bum-ass Knicks? Yes. But San Antonio isn't winning anything this year, so why burn two years, leave $5 million on the table just to get bounced in the playoffs when you can live in New York with an additional $5 million? Sounds like a good deal to me. Nerlens Noel is another guy who has reportedly let go of Rich Paul. Honestly, I think this guy is just foolish, though, when I read his story. Apparently, in 2017, he had fired his previous agent after not being offered a max deal from a team. And then also he didn't take a 70 million dollar deal from Dallas. So now no one will offer him anywhere near that and all he gets is vet minimums. So you're going to fire your current agent because your current agent can't get you close to the 70 million you were previously offered with your previous agent that you declined to take. That sounds like a personal problem to me, bro. The articles are comical because, you know. Players fire agents all the time. Why is this any different than when Kyrie fired his longtime agent before signing the Rock Nation and joining the Brooklyn Nets? Nobody made a big deal about that. The Rock Nation signing, yes, because you think Rock, Hove, Brooklyn, so the people were trying to put the pieces together. But the firing of its previous agent? No. So when a lower caliber player fires a high caliber agent, it makes headlines because, you know, mostly because of who Rich Paul is and who he's always going to be associated with in LeBron James. Most people hate the fact of how Rich Paul strong-armed Anthony Davis out of New Orleans to get him to the Lakers, but if that's what his client wants and he's to do what best serves his client, isn't that him doing his job? It's all only considered bad because, you know, the white owners, excuse me, the white governors, you know, didn't decide to trade him on their own terms. What's the difference between requesting a trade and going where you wanted to go then KG requesting a trade and being more on the load, I guess, getting blessed. And whoever was a GM in Minnesota just hooked up Ainge and traded him to Boston because they were buddies. Like, there's no difference than, you know, utilizing your resources to make a better situation for your client. White people do it all the time. Speaking of Minnesota, what benefits from that trade to Boston that they did back in 2008? What, what, what benefits have they reaped since that trade? None. <laughs> like you see it's like people pick and choose on what they want to bitch about but in other good news though i just read a couple days ago clutch sports group has reached an agreement with united talent agency which is one of the leading representations in hollywood to create a sports division for the company and rich paul is going to operate that along with still continuing to operate clutch that's some big bank black nigga making tight move shit right there like just continuing to just move the needle and just make these deals and make this money and just do what that we've been trying to do for a while because you know all the player empowerment you know all the change the narrative you know all the we have the power we should use it you know this shit all scares the shit out of white people in the whitewash media like 
You know, they don't want us to fight back and take control. They don't want us to not tolerate the discredit and the disrespect. They don't want an agent saying the bum ass Celtics can trade and we will handle our contractual obligations for the year. But we're going into free agency in 2020 no matter what. I hate to sound like a bootleg DJ Khaled, but it's the truth. It's like in the SI article that I read. People judge Rich because he doesn't wear a suit every day and because he's black. There are other black agents who don't get judged the same. But when you're different, why people hate what they don't understand? The first wave of the urban millennials are the one who are bridging the gap between old school and new school. And we're going to be the ones to lead the charge into the change of the future. And no matter what you think, you better get with it or get lost. Never. As mentioned earlier, we are the driving force of the culture and things we do, things we wear and even things we say all matters. Others who are outside of our culture, you know, they like it because we influence and they like to mimic or perpetrate without truly understanding the meaning behind it. So I was on Facebook the other day and one of my friends on there has stated how they had never heard the word ghetto used so much until this week. So seeing this, I'm just like, hmm, and the person was black, but I'm seeing this. I'm like, hmm. So my first question I get on the status and ask, I'm like, is it used by white people? So, of course, I get the word that it is and I instantly get pissed off. Time for school. If we look at the history of the word, the word ghetto comes from, and I quote, the quarter in the city, chiefly in Italy, to which the Jews were restricted. Basically, in the 16th and 17th centuries, cities like Venice, Frankfurt, Prague and Rome forcibly segregated their Jewish populations and submitted them to hella restrictions. Basically, the ghetto is what was used to get the Jews in restricted living spaces before sending them off to be slaughtered in concentration camps. When the year 1908 rolled around, ghetto has started to be used metaphorically to describe slum areas that weren't mandated by law, but that were limited to, you know, a single group of people because of other constraints. This started with immigrants, but by 1928, it transitioned predominantly to blacks who were segregated from the city into their own racial colony. Economics, racial prejudices, including laws and lending practices and cultural differences all combined to set blacks apart from their white counterparts in the city and as a culture. And this is shit that we're still dealing with today. So after I get word that, you know, it's a white person using the word ghetto so much, you know, I reply back, you know, I'm like, I hate that, you know, because I feel like it's a racial shot. You know, white people use the word ghetto and have never been or lived in the ghetto their whole last life. You know, according to my Facebook friend, you know, they were using the word trying to describe a hotel nearby that was low budget. Like low budget is one thing if you want to describe it that way. But don't use our lingo to try to describe something that isn't up to par and use the word that has a historical context of segregation of our people from yours. There is no way for a person not of color to say ghetto and it not have racial undertones behind it. I think hearing a prissy white girl saying that's so ghetto can be more cringeworthy because, you know, if you come from privilege, I feel like you're trying to downplay people who don't have as much as you, but also aren't as privileged as your chapped ass. I also feel and ghetto's like just the start. I feel the same way about white people who want to be black or think they're down with blacks. And they use the word nigga, ratchet, etc. You can't use those fucking words. I don't care how cool you think you are, how black you want to be, or how many big black dicks you've taken in that little pussy hole. It doesn't fucking matter. Quick story, though. 
So I remember I was in high school. I think it was summer going into my senior year. And there was a white chick who acted black. And she was trying to get at me. I think my boy was fucking with her chick or something. You know how they always set it up. But anyway, so we was all supposed to link up at one time. And, like, I just I kept spinning her because I wasn't really super on it like that or whatever. So I think, like, the third time or something, I just we never linked up or I flaked or something like that. And, and, and so I ended up getting this fucking message on a on a on a myspace or whatever and it was shorty like i think she was trying to talk trash really she sent me a message and i replied back and said like what and you know since she was one of these white chicks that you know you know but she act black i guess you know she felt she could throw certain words around so she gonna hit me with some shit like you know i'm tired of playing games with niggas like you so i just replied back like honky like you crack a bitch like who the fuck you calling a nigga like you know so i think i got a message back after that but i just never replied again because i just i really wasn't trying to hear any of that shit but it's always something that just will forever piss me off like how you get off saying nigga when it was probably your great great granddaddy trying to beat on my ancestors like it's bad enough people try to appropriate our dances and everything else not knowing damn well they have no rhythm so don't go trying to appropriate our words that have a historical segregational meaning behind it just to try to sound cool to downplay something that is raggedy, run down or low budget. And, you know, this isn't a shot because thinking about all this stuff when I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about, I'm like, damn, I sound pretty fucking racist. But I'm like, you know what? Fuck that. No, I don't. Because this isn't a shot or saying that, oh, I don't like white people or anything. You know, y'all OK. Some of y'all. You know, I love y'all for y'all promptness for meetings and, you know, how, like, you know, when we go out, y'all quick to always ask, you know, want another beer, bro? You know, if we're out at the bar and shit and you're paying for drinks, I love that shit. But learn what can and can't be said or done. And also, stay non-problematic. Y'all age better that way. Paul Rudd, Anne Hathaway, Ellen DeGeneres, Rachel Nichols, all non-problematic white people, and they look great for their age. I would have never guessed Ellen was 60 or over 60 or whatever. I mean, look at problematic ex-press secretary Sarah Sanders. At 36 years old, this bitch represented Donald Dump and looks like a whole foot fungus. Felicia Rashad looked better than her, 70 years old, and she's double her age. But we all know that's because black don't crack. Woo! Avengers Endgame's box office take is currently sitting at $2.781 billion. This means that they are only approximately $6.4 million away from passing Avatar on the all-time box office list. With Avengers Endgame dropping on digital on July 30th and Blu-ray on August 13th, time is beginning to tick on if it'll pass or not. But for me personally, you know I'm ready to see Avatar get dethroned. Ultimately, Avatar was an okay movie, but I look at that movie as fraudulent the same way I looked at the Golden State Warriors dynasty. Here we go. Let's look at the facts. So Avatar, I'm not going to tell you pretty much what it was all about because you should know by now. It's 10 years ago. It came out in December of 2009. And it was a time where, you know, you're the Christmas release movie. So there's really not too much else coming out to compete with you. So when you come out around that time, you basically own the Christmas season and everybody's off for winter vacation. So a lot of people are going to flock with their families to go see the movie. Also in 2009, you got to think about this. The first iPhone came out in 2007. I think june 2007 so the iphone was a little only two years old so imagine how the technology was compared to what we have now it wasn't as advanced 
Right now, the standard is 4K, AR tech, and other things that are so common. None of that shit was common back then. So 3D movies and 3D TVs at the time were a big wave, but although the 3D TVs didn't really catch on like that, a lot of the 3D movies did kind of catch on, and most people went to see Avatar in 3D because of, you know, it was the wave, and everyone also was telling everybody, if you want to watch it, you have to see it in 3D to get a real feel for it because the planet of Pandora is so beautiful. So myself, included with everyone who probably went to see it, saw it in 3D, which of course helped drive up the numbers. But if we look at the real numbers of the movie, Avatar technically has the throne, but it only has the throne because these foreign motherfuckers must have loved it. Endgame and Star Wars The Force Awakens already has a higher domestic gross than Avatar does. I think that's because us in America know, if you truly break down the story of Avatar, it ain't nothing but a 3D ass, blue ass, biting ass, Pocahontas movie. You got a main character who is a white guy and is hanging with a group of colonizers who plan on colonizing some shit, as usual. Same thing John Smith and his colonizers wanted to do while calling Pocahontas and her people savages, savages. Then the white guy ends up falling for the main character who is an alien, a.k.a. Pocahontas. So, you know, the avatars in real life were Indians, Native Americans to be politically correct. Then at the end of the story, when the war really begins, the white guy has a change of heart and vows to be the great white hope to save all the people of color because he knows how to truly stop the colonizers. He probably only changed his mind because he had some of that avatar pussy and fell in love. Oh. What Wayne saying that I'm a boss Meek Mill remix? I'm probably on my skateboard trying to learn a new trick. I just fucked an avatar. Now I got a blue dick. You know, I mean, let's ask Wayne. Was it good? But anyways... You know, the guy in Avatar, he helped stop the colonizers. And, you know, the colonizers, they ended up failing at their mission, just like John Smith. So we really break it down based on everything. The time period of the release, copycat-ass storyline, and the fact that it was in theaters for 238 days because of a re-release compared to Endgame that has only been in theaters for 83 days. Even if Endgame falls short, which I don't think it will, it has done way more in what would be 94 days when the digital media releases and 108 days when the Blu-ray releases than Avatar has. But with the promo for people, you know, to go rewatch it because we love you 3000 and the bootleg little scene they threw in there. And then, you know, the two week ago release of Spider-Man Far From Home, which I love, by the way, the Mysterio scenes are fucking fire. I think it will get viewers back in the theater to make that final push and get over the hump to dethrone that Avatar shit. If not, Disney, you know what to do. Pay them a couple dollars, nigga. Thank you for listening to the FMFU podcast, the podcast that's from me and for us. Make sure you hit that subscribe button, like, and comment, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Google Play. Also, make sure you get at me on my social media pages. I have a Facebook page, which you can search for, search for from me, for us, or you can leave it in a status at FMFU underscore podcast. Also, get at me on Twitter and Instagram at the same at names. That's at FMFU underscore podcast. Remember, people, always keep it a buck, always keep it a thousand, and perception is everything. I hope you have a nice day. It's still fuck y'all.